0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to River Oaks Community Church. I realize there are a few new faces that are in our congregation with us this morning, celebrating Mother's Day. In case you are new, my name is Brian. Brian. And I'm one of the two youth pastors on staff here at River Oaks. We're so glad that you are here worshiping with us on Mother's Day. And our lead teaching pastor, David Beatty, uh, headed over to UNC Chapel Hill for his son Matthew's graduation, which was yesterday. And he wanted me to especially tell all of the mothers in the room, Happy Mother's Day, and that he misses all of you. And he's asked me to um, step in this morning and to help us continue in our series called We Are. And in this series, we have been looking at a few desired traits that we would hope that our church looks like by the year 2025. Some of the things that we've been looking, up, uh, looking at so far are that we would be a church that is Bible-centered, Um, Our people would be prayer-fueled and spirit-led. We would be generous with our time and resources. We would be serving in local and international missions and being ambassadors for Christ in our workplaces, in our schools. And today we are going to be looking at the mark of what it means to be next-gen focused. And what better day to be diving into this topic than a day where we celebrate all of the people who give their all, all the time, and that is all the moms in the room. Um, Moms, we really thank you for the sacrifice that a lot of you make. You have a hard job. Even those of you who are empty nesters, and especially those of you with young children that are still in the home. My two children, Journey and Jet, um, have an amazing mother, my wife, Casey, um, and she does an incredible job. Uh, Not only does she stay uh, at home with them part-time, but she also works part-time. She moms real hard, and on top of doing all of that, she is just the best gift to everybody for having to put up with me. Now mothers, let's see if you can relate to any of these uh, pictures uh, that we have the, uh, to, to kind of just get us started today. Um, this says some days my kids can do no wrong, others they understand why animals eat their young. I think that we've all maybe been there and done that. How's about the next one? Kids catch you in the kitchen and they ask you, what's that in your mouth? And you're like, nothing. <laughs> Because you don't want to share, right? All right, how's about the next one? Sometimes I wish I could be the load of laundry in my dryer so I could sit in a dark, quiet place. Everyone would ignore me for a week. Some of you, y'all are ready to go home after that because that preaches in and of itself, right? All right, how's about the next one? My kids, when I tell them not to get any water outside of the tub, so frustrating. And one more. A good way to prepare yourself, this is for all those who are not yet parents, maybe here's a little word of advice, Uh, to prepare yourself for parenthood is to talk to rocks because they have the same similar listening habits. (laughs) Moms, we really do thank you for all that you do. Um, and the sacrifices that, you're, that you make. In today's sermon, it applies to mothers, of course, but it really applies to each one of us, whether it's mom, a dad, a grandparent, um, a young adult. This, this, is a gener- this is a generational topic that we are going to be addressing about how we can have a heart for being next-gen focused. And um, w- we should have a heart That really has sympathy and compassion to reach and to teach those in the next generation that is in the generation perhaps behind us or those way younger than us. And I would challenge maybe some people in the room today, they might be thinking, well, I've paid my dues, I've served my time. Um, I would challenge each person that might have that mindset just to lean into what today's message entails and see if there's anything that perhaps you can learn as we look at, at a few lessons from our Savior um, and we, that we would never miss an opportunity to pass on our faith to the next generation. Now, let's clear up something off the, the get-go. Um, just because we desire that our church would be next-gen focused, it does not mean that the previous and the older generations don't matter. It just means that for anybody who is more age, that perhaps there's oftentimes something that comes along with that. There's usually more experience. It means that there's hopefully going to be more spiritual maturity that can be passed along to the next generation. Have you ever thought about the fact that the only time in your life that you are excited about getting older is when you're young or when you're a child? You know, think about this. Like, if for anybody that's less than 12 years old, they oftentimes think in fractions. I can remember being less than 12, and I would say, I'm eight and a half. Right? Like, and you think that's a really cool thing. But then, um, 12 or older, you begin to jump to the next age. So you might say, Well, I'm 14, but I'm about to be 16. Or if you're 16, you're, I'm about to be 18. And then you become 21, but something happens after that. You turn 30, you push 40, you, make, you reach 50, you make it to 60, you hit 70, you're in your 80s. And then when you reach your 90s, it all goes back to fractions again. You start saying, well, I made it to 90 and a half, you know. (laughs) No matter how old or young you are, God loves each and every one of us, and he has a great purpose for all of us. And a part of God's plan for us who are older is to share our faith story with the next generation, and Pastor Beatty shared part A of this message from Psalm chapter seventy-eight, verses one to eight, a few weeks ago on March chapter, excuse me, March eighteenth. And today we are going to be looking at a few short verses from Matthew chapter nineteen. And this chapter is really significant because it marks the end of Jesus's ministry in Galilee, where Jesus had been preaching since the outset of his ministry. This change in direction will ultimately bring Jesus to the, to the cross. And I think that there are some significant life lessons that we can learn from Matthew chapter 19. He wants, he's, he's teaching his disciples and those around him about a few certain um, ethical issues that are going on in the world around him, subjects like divorce and how to obtain salvation. And right in the middle of these two really important subjects, some people begin to bring their children to Jesus. And this happens right here where we see in Matthew chapter 19 verses 13 to 15, this account. It says then, Children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he went away. Now if you were to read about this occurrence in Luke's gospel... In his account, we would see that not just were there children involved in this account, but there were also as young as infants that were being brought to the foot of Jesus so that he could pray for them. And for whatever reason, the disciples were rebuking. Perhaps they thought that Jesus' ministry to the widows and to all of the other people, the older people who were there around him, were more important. But Jesus said, no. As a matter of fact, these are the people who, are, who we should be reaching out to just as equally of importance. Jesus rebuked them, and he said that his ministry was just as important for children as it was for those adults. And there are four things that I think that Jesus tells us about reaching the next generation. At the, the Catalyst Conference a few years ago, the pastor of North Point Community Church, his name is Andy Stanley, he, he phrased this uh, question at the Catalyst Conference, and he said, What breaks your heart? And he framed this question with this statement, you don't have to change the world, but you have to change something. His point was that God doesn't ask us to change everything, but he does give us particular passions and certain things that we can do to pave the road to change. And so if it is your passions that are paving a road to change, what is it that breaks your heart? My answer to that question is that my heart breaks for the next generation. My heart breaks for young people who are growing up in a culture that is increasingly agnostic toward Christianity... My heart breaks for the pressures and for the demands that are put on them to perform and to be at the top of their class and to get the best grades and to take AP classes. Many of our own students are balancing school and having a job on top of that. Some of our students are even staying up until 12 and 1 in the morning and then setting alarm for 5 or 6 in the morning to wake up and just to finish their homework because of the demands that are being put on them to be at the best of the best. I want to fight for the next generation My heart breaks for the next generation and the hostility that they can face even from the church. Maybe not necessarily our church. I think our church does a really good job about being next-gen focused. But there are churches out there that do not staff or resource the next-generation ministries or have adults who can step into the ever-important roles of sharing their faith with them and helping them through their struggles of life. I want to fight for the next generation. I want to affirm them. I want to prepare them, and I, want to bu- I believe that the next generation should receive from us the church better than we received it ourselves. We should prepare the next generation to take the baton and to run past and beyond anywhere that we ever dreamed or imagined that we could run to. Handing the next generation a battered version of the church that we inherited means that we have failed. Investing in this next generation is not easy. Sometimes it takes a sacrifice— It involves grace, it involves humility, it involves a future focus, and it involves becoming like Jesus. And Jesus had a lot to say about reaching the next generation. There are four things, and the first one of those that I think that we can all learn today is that Jesus came down to us, and he did not expect us to come up to his level. He came down to us. Jesus came down from heaven to save and to redeem his people Salvation and redemption are a product of Jesus refusing to accept quality with God. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses uh, 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul, he was writing to the church, and he said, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was not content with his throne in heaven. Can we just stop for a moment and fathom that? Like, Jesus, the Son of God in heaven, is not content with that, and he chooses to leave this perfect place And he comes down to our battered and broken earth to help each one of us. Jesus, God's son, he had more knowledge and more power than any other person on earth. Yet he used the power to serve others. And he used knowledge to reach those who were powerless. For us to acquire power and to have knowledge, but not use them to affirm and encourage those without it, is not only bad stewardship, But according to God's word, it is ungodly. In my 10 years of youth ministry experience, I have heard people say things like, the next generation needs to practice patience. They need to stop making everything all about them. We've paid our dues. They need to do the same. Now, does the next generation, do, do they have selfish tendencies? Of course they do. But we all do. This is not just a generational problem, it's a human problem. So what does Jesus reveal to us about solving this problem? He comes down, he emptied himself, and he doesn't tell the apostles to come up to our level, to, to his level. He came down to them, he's patient with them, and he does the same for us, so we should do likewise. When the church asks the next generation to give up all their desires and ways that they connect with God, we are not modeling the ways of Jesus, we are expecting those who are less mature less powerful, and less knowledgeable to reach up. Instead of coming down and engaging the next generation on their level, sometimes we expect them to rise up and come to ours. Statistics state that many millennials are leaving the church and that Gen Z, those who are currently 18 and younger, are the first generation to be what is called a post-Christian generation. Maybe the next generation is leaving church and having an apathetic attitude toward Christianity because they are tired of reaching up and conforming to the ways of our ways of doing things. Maybe we are seeing a decline in attendance by the next generation because sometimes the church can adopt a self-centered attitude that is less than being Christ-centered. So what are you doing to come down for the next gen? The second thing that we can learn is that Jesus spoke the language of the culture. Jesus spoke the language of the culture. When I was in high school, if you wanted to call somebody, you had to use one of these devices right here. And if you were really lucky, you had the 20-foot extension cable that could take the headset piece into another room so that mom and dad weren't listening to you from the kitchen, right? Like, it it was awesome. Now, some of you are a little bit you know, older, and you happen to remember this piece of technology. <laughs> this is called the rotary phone, and heaven forbid somebody had a lot of nines in their phone number. You know, I got a couple laughs because you know what it's like. You have to wait for that nine to go all the way back around, and some of you, um, maybe some of you may even remember this, This was what a lot of people refer to as an operator's uh, switchboard where you would call the operator and they would patch you through to who you were calling. Now, today, landlines are virtually non-existent. Why? Because they're not the most effective way to communicate. That title today belongs to cell phones, and especially smartphones these days. You can call, not only call people, but you can check social media. You can message somebody around the world in a moment's notice. Today, if you are not using the smartphone, you are behind. And it's okay if that's what you prefer. That is totally okay. But if you, if we are to reach the next generation, sometimes we have to change our communication methods. Jesus believed strongly in effective communication. This is why he oftentimes spoke in parables. He did not use large, churchy, academic words when speaking to the crowds. He could have, but he chose not to. Why? Well, he wanted to effectively communicate. That is why he oftentimes used stories. Stories connect. Stories draw people in. Stories take difficult biblical concepts and relate it to people like fishermen and farmers who maybe did not have an education, who needed a way to understand the difficult truths of God's word. So we can throw up our hands because the next generation does not communicate like we do, or we can embrace a new and more effective form of communication They might have something to teach us. Look at what Jesus did for those around him. See if you notice any repeated words as we open up and look at Matthew 13 for a moment. Jesus said, he put another another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. He took another par- took them, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in, in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, nothing was said to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in the parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. I don't think that Jesus, not, he, not only did he use parables to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, but I think that he also knew the language of the culture in ways that they would understand, so he told them these stories. Now this does not mean that we as 30 plus year olds should walk around saying, yo, my squad is lit, or TBH, that dinner was not that Gucci, You know, s- some of you don't even know what I just said and that's okay. But it does mean that we should find ways to take God's timeless truth and to make it relevant to the world around us, including the next generation. So here's a few ways that perhaps you can live this out. Um, The Bible stories, like maybe you're driving through um, Kentucky on a family vacation this summer, and you decide to pull into Williamstown, Kentucky, and you take your family on the Noah's Ark experience, and you read the Bible, and you read the scriptures as you're walking through, and you're helping bring this to life for them. Maybe you're a grandparent, and when your kids are in town, you decide on a Saturday night with everybody gathered around in the living room to share a Bible story with your young grandchildren and you open up to a passage like 1 Kings chapter 9 verses 11 to 13 and you're telling them hey you know what god sometimes he doesn't always talk to us the way that we hope to and so here's a great way of how god spoke to somebody in the bible and then you begin to read and he said go out and he stand and stand on the mount before the lord and behold the lord passed by and a great strong wind and maybe you like turn on the fan Tore the mountains, broke the pieces and the rocks before the Lord, and you throw pebbles at them. And then the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, and you start shaking the couch that they're sitting on. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, and you strike a lighter. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and it said, What are you doing here, Elijah? You see, sometimes we have to change our communication methods. Maybe you change things up occasionally and you love your translation of the Bible. Um, there's some really unique translations that are out there and that are true to God's word. Um, one that we have oftentimes or sometimes used in Sunday school is a direct translation of the Hawaiian. Uh, Bible language, it's called pigeon. Um, and so perhaps maybe you veer off the NIV or ESV or whatever it is that you p- might use, and you pick up the Jesus book, which is this Hawaiian pigeon translation. And here's what today's passage that we looked at earlier would say A people went to bring the small kids by Jesus because they like for him to put the heads on top the heads and pray. <laughs> then Jesus guys went scold them, but then Jesus went and say, Let the kids come. No, stop them, because the people who got the head in the sky for the king inside himself, they just like these kids. Then Jesus went and put his heads on top of the kids, on the heads, and after that, he went, go away. <laughs> now, that might be a stretch. You might actually want to leave that for the Hawaiians. I, I butchered it really bad. You might be able to do way better, but... The question is, what are you doing to speak the language of the next generation? Number three, Jesus didn't lecture, he loved. Jesus did not lecture, but he loved. I heard another pastor say one time at a youth conference that when it comes to the next generation, we need to stop lecturing them and start loving them. We need to stop lecturing and start loving. Now, I know this might be a shock to those of you who know me, but I am far from perfect Um, As a matter of fact, uh, I'm I'm really, really far from perfect, and one time, I'm going to confess before all of God's people and God himself, that um, I I messed up on a youth trip one time as a ninth grader, and I ended up getting sent home for being out past curfew um, with a few of my friends, and um, I got sent home from this trip. My parents were really not happy with me. So fast forward to the following Sunday after everybody else returned home from this trip, well, um, one of the Sunday school teachers, we had three Sunday school classes that all kind of broke off and went into different grade levels and stuff. One of the Sunday school teachers asked if he could meet with everybody all gathered in our youth room together. And uh, the youth pastor said, yeah, f- of course. Um, he's like, I've got a message that God has put on my heart that I'd like to share with everybody. And this, this person, he pr- proceeded to point his finger at me and our, my friends that got sent home from this trip. And he said, what Brian and so-and-so and so-and-so did was a gravest sin, and what they did was absolutely terrible, and he made an example out of all of us, and it really made me not super happy that this was going on, of course, you know, but if we are not careful what we can do when we do such things, now that was a very public thing, um, and, and it caused a lot of hurt for some people, and it can, if we're not careful, Cause people to be pushed away from the foot of the cross. So when it comes to the next generation, we need to let them know that we are for them, that we care for them. Now, does it mean that they're going to mess up and make mistakes? Of course, they're going to struggle. They might fail. But they, when they know that they are affirmed and loved, they will be compelled to get back up and to keep moving. They will run to the cross and they will not run from it. When the next generation is constantly hearing what they did wrong, what messages are we sending them? Jesus seemed to understand that lecturing did not serve the ultimate goal of transforming people. The only ones lectured that Jesus did was was actually, he lectured the Pharisees. Um, But that's because they were gluttons of knowledge and power. They did the very opposite of what Jesus did. The Pharisees expected others to come up to their level you won't find an example of Jesus lecturing those aware of their sin. Instead, you will find Jesus loving them and embracing them. Let's look at the woman who was living in adultery in John chapter 8 as an example. She had sins that were so terrible that they were punishable unto being stoned to death. And so after the crowd was saying all this to Jesus, Jesus chimed in starting in verse 7, and and here's where it picks up. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he rode in the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with this woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. You see, Jesus, he had this perfect ability to be able to speak truth, but with so much grace. He saw people for who they were and whose they were, not what they have done. You will find Jesus speaking life to the people that he interacted with. He didn't excuse their sin, but he didn't lecture them either. You could read the entire Bible from cover to cover and you would not find one example of Jesus lecturing those aware of their sin. He doesn't wag a finger. He doesn't smack them out on the hand. Instead, you will find Jesus loving them and embracing them. There's a way to push the next generation toward God without lecturing them. Just look to Jesus as your model. And the fourth and final way that we can learn to do this as a church is that Jesus prepared the way for the church after his departure. If we want to reach the next generation, we have to also prepare the way for the church after our departure. Jesus not only came down to those with less power, but he invested in them. He spent his time preparing a group of men to take over after he left. Jesus knew that his time on earth was short, And he knew that his mission was larger than his three-year ministry here on earth. Jesus did not come to earth seeking to build an earthly kingdom that would not be sustained after his departure. Instead, he came to build God's kingdom that would last forever. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and to prepare us for a life beyond this one. The problem with many churches today is that perhaps we are failing to prepare the next generation. Some Christians could care less about the future of church long after the departure. And if Jesus had this same attitude of many church leaders today, then the church would be non-existent. But Jesus did not believe that power, wisdom, and a title were the end game. He poured into others. The goal was for everybody to cross the finish line, not just him. Not just those who are alive during his earthly ministry, but everybody, even to today and years beyond now. Jesus came to earth with a future focus. If our selfish actions and our attitudes create an environment that is not sustainable for the next generation, then perhaps we might fail too. The church is larger than us. The church is more than the here and now. So we need to commit ourselves to sharing our faith with the next generation. Why? Because that is what God tells us to do. If we don't, then perhaps the biggest thing at risk is that we lose a next generation. God's word teaches us that we need to be committed to sharing the Lord with the next gen. We need the entire church involved in this endeavor. And we need to communicate all that the Lord has done in our lives with other people. And we should do it through relationships and through stories. So what is our priority and our commitment? as a church, to reaching this next generation for Christ? What changes would God call us to make in order to better better communicate the Lord with this next generation? These are questions that we should be constantly asking ourselves. And so to help us out, I'm going to offer a few practical ways that we can apply this for the future and for the here and now. The first is that we should pass along our faith. If we want to be next-gen focused, we should be passing along our faith. This could be to anyone of all ages. Parents, teach your children God's truth in your home. I always say that the church, this place, should be echoing what's already being taught in the home. We should not be the first place in the primary place that's communicating God's Word. That's reserved for the home. Pray for and with your children. Let them know if they have questions that you don't have all the answers. You might have to say, I don't know the answer to that. Students crave that these days. They love to know that not everybody has all the answers. But instead say, hey, why don't we walk through this together and find those answers together? If you have children under your roof, make sure that they are involved in church or Christian activities We offer lots of ministry opportunities here at River Oaks for students to be involved with us. And I know that our ministry cannot be the end-all, be-all, like best ministry for everybody. But we would love for your students to be involved with us if they're not already. My best friends to this day are not friends from school or from college. But instead, they are my friends from my youth ministry that we did life with together. We grew in faith together. We served on mission trips together. And we would love for that to be the case for your children too. A survey by the International Bible Society indicated that 83% of all Christians make their commitment to Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. That is, when they were early in their youth years. Adults ages 19 and over have just a 6% probability of becoming Christians. Statistics show that the chances of a person having their eternity change greatly diminishes after adolescence. So what are you doing to see that your children... Have those opportunities to hear and to respond to the gospel. Make church a priority for your family. Another way is that you can serve. Perhaps you're an empty nester. Perhaps you don't have children of your own. Perhaps you are a young adult. Serve. Summer block party is right around the corner. The Lord always moves and changes lives during this week. And we need adults who can serve as small group leaders in various different capacities. And one of the best ways you can do that is go and find Tiffany or Marie or check out that summer block party table set up right here outside of these doors. Our ministry to preschoolers in Noah's Ark is always in need of more leaders. And Marie, who is our children's ministry leader um, for that age group in Kids Rock, she is always looking for more leaders to help out with the K-5. through Just a few weeks ago in Kids Rock, here's a statistic for you. We had, on April 8th, we had 96 children in the second service in Noah's Ark. Oh, excuse me, in Kids Rock. There were six adults with 96 kids. Two of those, one of them was the main leader that was leading everybody in large group time. And another one of those was in the sound booth. That is really four to 96 ratio. That's a little scary. Like, luckily, the kids didn't realize they could start a mutiny. <laughs> Another Sunday recently, Noah's Ark, there were 16 three-year-olds with one leader. Now, when it comes to investing, like, I don't say these things to guilt trip you and to make you feel bad about yourself. But as a church, we would long for, when we say the word investing, we would hope that you would treat it the way that maybe if you have an IRA account, you, the same way you can't just invest once. Early on and, and expect a great yield of return when you're ready to cash out one day. That's what investing is. It's an ongoing ministry. It's having a heart for seeing these children grow in their faith and in their love for their savior. If you feel like you are ready and, and led to invest in one of these age groups, you can take out your Hey I'm here card right now. Or if you don't have a Hey I'm here card, go on to online to the website, click on the ministries page, and there is an opportunity to sign up to volunteer. We would love to have somebody reach out to you and train you and teach you how you can become involved with our ministry. Maybe what we need to do is instead of look to model, once again, our model of ministry. And that's our Savior. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. What are we doing to invest in the next generation? Now, next gen doesn't just mean infants through eight-year-olds. It could be that you're 70 And maybe you decide to mentor a 15-year-old. Or maybe you're in your 50s. Maybe you find a young adult in the 20s or 30s that that is in need of somebody that needs investing. We all have somebody that we can be pouring into. What are you doing to invest in the next gen?